Milkshake Monday. This is episode 143, Jesus, Strength Beyond Muscles. Before I start, I'd like to share with Makash Makala Prakash and our family in India, the believers in Jesus Christ that are so faithful to be online to listen to the messages from Pastor Helm or Reverend Watts or myself, that we are hurt and um, saddened by the loss of life that is in India, all around the country, suffering from the pandemic, and especially those in New Delhi who are struggling with even having oxygen in the hospitals and people not being able to even breathe. And it is our heart's desire that the Lord would have mercy and compassion to help you all during this struggle. You know, in the United States of America, there are those who are contemplating not making themselves uh, to go and to take the free vaccine that will allow us not to have such devastation if we were to come in contact with the COVID-19, SARS-2, and the variants that are going on. And I just pray that people would exercise some wisdom and be in prayer to the Lord to actually ask, should they do what is right for themselves to actually go and get get help in the vaccine so that we can protect one another. So tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus' strength because oftentimes we think of Jesus Christ so one-dimensional. And let me explain what I'm talking about. We put him in a box, and, and you have to understand that Jesus Christ has many names and titles all throughout Genesis through Revelation. And many of us, myself included, We'll always recognize him as Savior and Lord. We'll think of him as being loving, compassionate, caring, merciful, uh, all those things, kindness, uh, thoughtful, this wonderful, soothing, very majestic words. And they're all very, they're not passive in the sense of making him uh, weak, But when we think of him, we always think of him as that comforting one, the one that's going to be there when we're in need. But I want us to see him in another light. And that's the light of strength. Because we're getting ready to celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. And we think of the father as the head of the household that's going to be there to protect mom and dad and the children. Well, there's some dads that are the caregivers. And people don't see that dad as the caregiver. And there's some mothers who they don't have sometimes a father because they're widowed or they're separated, divorced, or they just have a man that's left them. And they're the head of the household. So you see a woman sometimes who's doing all the roles and you see her one way and don't understand that she has many roles to play. Well, when it comes to Jesus Christ, we kind of get set in our mind that he's one way and we don't understand the many facets and dimensions and depth of who the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ is. And I want to show you tonight just a few passages for us to understand Jesus in his strength. And I mean in actual battle strength, because there are some things that are going to happen in the near future in this, you know, what is near to God? Because a thousand years is but a day to the Lord. But as Satan and the demonic forces realize that their time is growing shorter and shorter, there is going to be more and more coldness of people's hearts. You see it 
we're talking politics now, but we're going to be seeing things beyond politics where the lies of the devil, the enemy will start to do things that we will think is so demented. But we have to understand as mankind gets more reprobate and ungodly, there are going to be things happening. And we have to understand that Christ, as compassionate as he is, he also has great strength. And when you see the scriptures that says vengeance is in the hand of the Lord, vengeance belongs to the Lord, the battle is the Lord's, you can't always think of Christ in a passive way. To think that he's walking around in a sense in the, in the sandals and, and he's just going to passively see things. And you know, we've always been taught, turn the other cheek. But Christ, in what you see in the scripture, he has great strength. He's in charge of the angelic forces of the Lord. There are things about him that we kind of take for granted when we see him. And we, we're going to tonight see him in some other ways that maybe you haven't been thinking about him a lot of times. But this is an opportunity tonight. So I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. And I'm also going to be reading out of the Living uh, Translation. So the first translation I want us to look at is going to be in the English Translation. And we're going to look at the fall of Jericho. The reason why is because... What you'll see in chapter 5 of Joshua, and that's where you can start turning to, is that you had a group of people leave the nation of the Egypt, but those people had died off. And the people that Moses led weren't the same people that Joshua was leading because that generation of people had died. And where you find in chapter five of Joshua is that they had not been circumcised as what the Lord had commanded. And so right in the beginning of Joshua chapter five, they had been circumcised. So you can imagine all the men in their private parts had just had that piece of foreskin cut off. They had time to heal. And after they are, God provides them food during this time. But when the manna ceased, immediately you find Joshua starting to look over the city of Jericho. So we're going to start in verse 13. And I'm going to read two versions so you have clarity. Verse 13 says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now I'm going to read the Living Translation, and then we're going to talk about this. In the Living Translation, starting at that same verse 13, As Joshua was sizing up the city of Jericho, a man appeared nearby with a drawn sword. Joshua strode over to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? I am the commander-in-chief of the Lord's army, he replied. Joshua fell to the ground before him and worshipped him and said, Give me your commands. Take off your shoes, the commander told him. For this is holy ground, and Joshua did. Now, before we go to chapter 6 and a couple of verses I want you to see, here is we find that Joshua is thinking one-dimensional. He doesn't recognize yet that this is Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate body. 
But just like you and I, we think things are black and white one way or the other. Joshua gave him two choices. Are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? Are you friend or are you foe? And the answer, neither. I talked to Reverend Helm about this. I said, he responds, neither. And that's what we have to understand. Many times we go to God and we think, are you for me? Are you for them? And God is for the Lord and the divine plan of God. And Jesus Christ as his commander in chief, or the, as he said in the English standard, commander of the army of the Lord, he's about what the Lord's business is, what the Lord's plan is how the Lord sees what is going to unfold. And he's not going to answer every time. Oh, I'm for you. I'm going to do what you need. No, it's about what does the Lord require and what does he need? So that's another way of how we have to stop thinking of Jesus Christ and the Lord. So one dimensional that it's all about either me or you. Now let's go to chapter six right there, because here's something that we have to understand about Jesus in chapter five. His sword was drawn and ready and in a posture to do business of attack. He is the commander in chief of the Lord's host of angels, the Lord's legions that are in heaven at the command of the Lord God. It says in chapter six, let's start at verse two. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and it's fighting men. March around the city once with the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear this, them sound a loud blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up every one straight in. Now we're going to just read those same few verses, two through five in the living. Starting with verse two, but the Lord said to Joshua, Jericho and its king and all its mighty warriors are already defeated for I have given them to you. Your entire army is to walk around the city once a day for six days followed by seven priests walking ahead of the ark and each carrying a trumpet made from ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to walk around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. Then when they give one loud, long blast, all the people are to give a mighty shout and the walls of the city will fall down. Then move in upon the city from every direction. Christ himself in his pre-incarnate state said to Joshua, I have defeated them. I have given the king and all the mighty warriors that even he in this state is explaining to them the power, the strength, the authority that he has as the commander in chief, as the commander of the Lord's army, that even when we think that we got to do our best in battle, that it's not us. It's the Lord that allows us to be delivered from these different storms in our lives. But a lot of times we think we have to do it. Now, here's another reason that you can easily see why God told Joshua in the beginning of chapter five, that he was neither for him or for his enemy, but for the Lord's purpose, because 
Oftentimes, as you start to see what unfolds in Joshua from chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, and then you get to chapter 9, is that the people around the surrounding areas were seeing that the Lord was doing mighty things, but they were giving the credit to Joshua and his army. But here's what happens when we get puffed up about the success and the victories that God has given us in our own lives, we find that we start to do things in our own flesh without consulting God. And this is exactly what happened with Joshua. Because things were starting to happen where they were having victories. And there were times, of course, that Joshua was going and lending to lead from following what the God of our Almighty does and tells us to do. But there are times where he just goes on his own. And his men said, oh, we can take it. We'll just take, we don't need all these people. We'll just take what we have, like two or 3,000 people. And then they started thinking they could do it in their own strength. But look at what happened in chapter 9 of Joshua. And we're going to just read verse 14. Because there was some trickery going on. But when you don't consult the Lord and understand that it's his strength, it's his authority, it's his power, it's his dominion, that you can be tricked and you fall into all kinds of situations. In verse 14, it says, Joshua and the other leaders finally believed them. They did not bother. They were being tricked by another, another organization, Gibeon. They were a township really close by, but they were pretending and giving falsehoods that they were far away and they don't have any food and it's all moldy what they have. And they were tricking them. But because they didn't consult the Lord who knows all, they believed a lie. And it says, they did not bother to ask the Lord, but went ahead. I want y'all to understand a lot of times in our lives, because we don't think we need Christ, we don't need his strength, we don't need his understanding, we don't need his truth, that we make decisions in our lives because we don't need to be bothered to inquire of the Lord. And we go ahead and do some things that are to our destruction and our detriment and cause foolish consequences to happen. And as you keep reading, I can't, I have a lot of scripture tonight, but as you keep reading what happens, you'll understand that it was God's plan that if you saw in the end of chapter eight, that Joshua had a habit to read the commands that Moses received. And it, at, at, even in chapter nine, they said that we'd heard that Moses, the disciple was told to conquer the entire land and destroy all the people living in it. So they'd already heard this. But they figured they'd do some trickery. And only because Joshua chose not to inquire and ask of God, he found that he had to let these people, because of this treaty he did, without inquiring from God, he had to let them live and not be destroyed. Now let's go to some other passages. We're going to move over to some discussion about the angelic force. Because oftentimes we see the angels you will see that the world puts angels in a, a, a light of, oh, these are cherubims for Valentine's Day. Little fat chubby kids running around with arrows, poking people for love symbols. But in the reality, there's an angelic force, an army that works at the command of the Lord. You have messenger angels, you have warring angels, you have angels that you see all throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, even at the end of Revelation, you see all of this. And there's some examples that I wanted to call to your attention because 
When you understand that Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's army, as you see these different angels, you have to understand that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who has all of this power to be over command of them. And that's why I'll give you an example. When you see Michael, who's one of the strong angels, Lucifer was the, the head angel before he fell and became Satan. But then you had Michael and you see Gabriel, the messenger. But in Jude 9, verse 9, you'll see that, that there was a contention of the Satan actually wanting to know where Moses's body was buried. And there was a contention between Michael, that archangel, strong as he was, mighty as he was, between Satan, who was formerly Lucifer. But they said in the scripture, if you read it, it says that he did not smear him or say anything jeering to him. He said, the Lord rebuke you because the ultimate authority and power is the commander in chief, Jesus Christ, the father, son, and the Holy spirit. But Jesus Christ as the commander of the Lord's army had the greatest authority. And when those demonic spirits tried to rise up against with Lucifer at the time coming against the almighty, you understand that who destroyed that whole rebellion and threw them down to the earth. It was the commander of the Lord's army. Jesus was in the lead of those angel, angelic force that threw them out. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14, just to get an understanding of what was happening there. So Isaiah chapter 14, in the English standard version, I'll read it. And then I'll read it quickly in the living translation. Verse 12 starts. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. They're talking about Lucifer. You have been cast down to the earth. Who's, who did that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ that did that. In his strength, in his power, and his authority of the legions of the angelic uh, hosts that were still following after the Lord, servants of the Most High God. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Again, Jesus' strength, Jesus' authority, Jesus' might, Jesus' grace. He had the power. And when you go to look to Christ, you're not looking to a passive Savior. You are looking to the commander-in-chief, the commander of the Lord's army. Now let's see that same passage in chapter 14, starting with verse 12 in the Living Translation. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, mighty though you were against the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven and rule the angels. I will take the highest throne. I will preside on the mount of assembly far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. But instead, you will be brought down to the pit of hell, down to the lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth 
and the kingdoms of the world? Can this be the one who destroyed the world and made it into a shambles and demolished the greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? It was the Lord Jesus Christ, the commander in chief that got Satan and took him down to where he needed to go, which is away from the, the north where the almighty father is. The Almighty Father is in charge, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, let's keep going. Again, with this angelic force, I think when we read scriptures, whether it's during Easter or times where it's, we're celebrating the Advent and times for Christ's birth, we just lose sight of things. You know, the angelic force is singing, or saying, not singing, but saying things. But here's another time. When... The time for Christ's crucifixion was about to happen. We found that, remember Peter cut off the ear of the servant because they were coming. The forces of the chief priest, the security guard, were coming to actually get Jesus, take him in. Well, there was something in them that thought they needed to do something and protect Christ. But again, Christ came voluntarily. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ allowed himself to take on human flesh and still be deity and allow the creation that his very creations to actually bound him to take him to the cross where he gave up his life for us. But in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start there. Matthew 26. And we'll start. Let's start at verse 51. And suddenly... One of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand. In other, vers in other gospels, you see it was Jesus Christ. Stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. This is the commander of the Lord's army and the commander in chief and the one that when you were in Joshua 5 had his sword drawn. So he knows about battle. He knows about what a weapon of the sword is for. He knows how to wield it. He didn't need Peter or any of those servants to do any fighting for him. He fights for us. But he had to tell him, put your sword back in his place. And verse 53 says, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. In other versions, it says thousands of angels. In an instant, I can appeal to my father and he will send thousands of angels to me. It wasn't that Christ wasn't strong as they were taking him. He allowed them to take him. He knew battle. He could take I want y'all to remember something. In Acts chapter 9, we really don't understand the power of who Christ is. Remember when he turned himself inside out and that light was so bright when he turned himself out inside out at the Mount of Transfiguration and you had Moses and Elijah there to see his glory? Well, when Paul in Acts chapter 9 was riding on the road to Damascus, it said a light from heaven shone and it knocked them off of their horse. It talked about him falling, but if you see other versions, it says all of them fell just from the light from heaven shining down. Christ 
has so many mechanisms of his power, of his strength, of his authority, that his word, just a word, fall down. At his word, sun stop. This is the, the Christ that heals, that delivers, that sees a funeral train and touches a body and it, it resurrects it. Calls Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Do y'all understand? It's not about him pulling a sword. It's not about him having to flex the muscles like we do and put steroids in our body. He's the almighty God, the captain of the Lord's army, the commander, the commander in chief. But sometimes we see him as this little pitiful, pitiful little God. Oh, he don't understand what I'm going through. Oh, he can't help me. We mis we're mistaken. Do you, if you see the power of the angelic force, when you see that when David does wrong with Bathsheba and there's three choices and that angel goes and starts killing people and thousands die. When you see Pharaoh in Exodus and that angel that we thought the destroyer and the Lord commands who he should kill, who he should not kill. And all the firstborn are killed. Do you see the strength of what's happening in Revelation? He, Jesus Christ, is in charge of all of these angelic beings that can destroy us without a thought. An instant. They can be one place, riding the clouds as their steeds like horses. The power of Christ to command them. He can say just now, I can ask my father and I'll have thousands of angels. Don't you remember when Elijah had to say, open the eyes that they could be right there and you never know where they are. But you think you got to fight all the battles. You don't understand when David threw those five smooth stones at the big Philistine, Goliath, it wasn't David in his power. It was the power of the almighty with the power going straight into the place and that Philistine, that giant was dead. And there's some giants in all of our lives that we're afraid. We can't go to Jesus because Jesus can't take care of it because he's wearing sandals. Jesus can't take care of it because he's only healing. Jesus can't take care of it because he's only loving. You have to see Christ Jesus in all of his power and authority. That's why when he rose, it says all authority, all power. But we keep them in this one-dimensional box. And the things that are going to unfold that are ugly and evil and treacherous, you have to see and believe and be prayerful and start to study and start to be prepared as children of the living God, as disciples of God, to, to walk in the boldness and to have the mind of Christ. That's a mind that is as gentle but as wise as a serpent but as gentle as a dove. But we are being so lazy and apathetic. We don't understand the true force of Almighty God. Let's continue. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 25, Ezekiel chapter 25 talks about the Lord's, when he, I'll say with the Lord's vengeance. Because what happens is that things happen day to day and we think that God is letting stuff happen. You saw when the nation was under Egypt and the harsh taskmaster and eventually when God saw and spoke to Moses at the burning bush, he said, I've seen, I've heard, 
but he chose the time that he was going to act. Just like he told Abraham that there would be a time and he already knows everything that's unfolding and he sees the wickedness that's starting to unfold even now in this generation where we're on we're watching the news and we're hearing people who say they love Jesus Christ believe a lie. Don't be fooled by the lie of the devil. No matter what party, no matter what color, no matter what you think is right, you better go to God and ask God, what is the truth? Don't you get yourself fooled by the devil following after anybody that's not the Lord Jesus Christ because man lies. It's impossible for God to lie, but man lies. And guess what? When all of these foolish things happen and people are laughing at the church, oh, God is dead. Oh, God can't do this. Oh, God is nothing. Oh, the word of God is not true. All this stuff. The Lord defends his word, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. The God who we serve is not a wimp. The God who we serve is almighty, all powerful, has great strength, has great glory. That we don't even understand. Not even a fraction of it. Even these big time people that think they know so much. They don't know what they don't know. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 25. I'm going to read out of the living translation. And it's, it's a few verses. So give me a little time here. Then the Lord's message came to me again. He said, son of dust. That's what we are. We're, we, we're going back to the dust guys. Son of dust, look toward the land of Ammon and prophesy against its people. Tell them, listen to what the Lord God says. Because you scoffed when my temple was destroyed and mocked Israel in her anguish and laughed at Judah when she was marched away captive. Therefore, I will let the Bedouins from the desert to the east of you overrun your land. They will set up the encampments among you. They will harvest all your fruit and steal your dairy cattle. And I will turn the city of Reba into a pasture for camels and all the country of the Ammonites into a wasteland where flocks of sheep can graze. Then you will know I am the Lord. For the Lord says, because you clapped and stamped, and cheered with glee at the destruction of my people. Therefore, I will lay my hand heavily upon you, delivering you to many nations for devastation. I will cut you off from being a nation anymore. I will destroy you. Then you shall know I am the Lord. And the Lord God says, because of the Moabites have said that Judah is no better off than any other nation. Therefore, I will open up the eastern flank of Moab, wiping out her frontier cities, the glory of the nation, Beth Shethmoth, Belmion, and Carathiam, and Belun's tribes from the desert to the east will pour in upon her just as they will upon Ammon. And Moab will no longer be counted among the nations. Thus I will bring down my judgment upon the Moabites, and they shall know I am the Lord. And the Lord God says, because the people of Edom have sinned so greatly by avenging themselves upon the people of Judah. I will smash Edom with my fist and wipe out her people, her cattle and her flocks. The sword will destroy everything from Taman to Dedan. By the hand of my people, Israel, this shall be done. They will carry out my furious vengeance 
And the Lord God says, because the Philistines have acted against Judah out of revenge and long-standing hatred, I will shake my fist over the land of the Philistines and I will wipe out the Cherethites and utterly destroy those along the seacoast. I will execute terrible vengeance upon them to rebuke them for what they have done. And when all this happens, then they shall know I am the Lord. Now, when we see Jesus Christ in the New Testament, many of us haven't studied to know the Father the Almighty, and the power of the Lord in the Old Testament. When we see in the scriptures where Christ is coming after his triumphant entry, and you will notice that in the triumphant entry in Matthew 21, when you see them throwing down their coats, and Christ says if they don't, the rocks will cry out. The crowd starts to assemble and they ask what's going on, basically. And they say, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, is coming. They have him one-dimensional and they see him only as a prophet. Some of them call out the son of David. But we're going to go there really quickly. Matthew chapter 21. Let's start in the verse that starts. Let's start at verse 9. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Immediately in verse 12, Jesus lets them know without saying anything initially. They're calling him only a prophet. But Christ is the commander-in-chief, the commander of the Lord's army. He is the Messiah. He is about the Lord, his father's business. And the temple that's supposed to be a house of prayer, he's about to walk in and seeing some crap going on. And I say to some preachers and some bishops and some people that are in charge of the houses of God, if you got things going on, you better remember the Lord has his eye on everything going on. And if you got things that are not of God and of his word and proclaiming his son, you better understand Christ is not just a sandal wearing robe walking. He is the almighty God and he is the commander in chief of the Lord's army. And just look at what he does after they just called him a prophet. Oh, that's nobody. It's just Jesus. He's just going to come preach, going to do some little healings. He's going to make everybody feel good for some teaching in the synagogue. That's all he's going to do. He's on his way to synagogue now. Go on, he's going to the temple now. Look what they found out about the little past of Jesus, they thought. Verse 12 says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God, his father, and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He was breaking bad before there was a breaking bad. If y'all had a table set up with all of your wares, if you one of these vendors that go to the conferences and you have your jewelries and your clothes and your books and your robes and all that stuff they'd be selling at the conferences and somebody came and turned your stuff over, Y'all will be hot. But this man, the man Jesus Christ in deity, 
He had his body, but he was deity. He came in and he tore up the house and brought it back to what it's supposed to be. And he did it by himself. You didn't say he had five or six people with him. He came and he did it. Because he is powerful. He's strong and mighty. And when he sees something that's not right in his father's house, and it says here, now he's, he did some things, but then he said some things after. Verse 13. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Here again, you can't serve God and mammon. And people in the church of 21st century are trying to serve mammon and call it God. You want to make money. You want to make profits. The den of thieves is even in the 21st century church. But Christ took care of some things there. And he says, but you have made it a den of thieves. That's our Christ. Now we're going to go to scriptures more. The scripture that I want you to turn to is Revelations chapter 5 verse 1 through 12. Revelations chapter 5 verse 1 through 12. I'm going to read it in the living translation verse 1 through 12 so we can see about this strength of God. And I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. A mighty angel, that means our, our angels ain't no little weaklings. A mighty angel with a loud voice was shouting out this question, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and to unroll it? But no one in all heaven or earth from among the dead was permitted to open and read it. Then I wept with this disappointment because no one anywhere was worthy. No one could tell us what it said. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop crying for look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered and proved himself worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. Do you hear what they said? Has conquered. He's not passive. He's not a wimp. He's conquered. The commander-in-chief of God's army has conquered and proved himself worthy to open the scroll and to break its seven seals. I looked and saw a lamb standing therefore before the 24 elders in front of the throne and the living beings. And on the lamb were wounds that once had caused his death. He went and died for us death, burial, and resurrection. But those wounds were still showing. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into every part of the world. This is the time that the sevenfold ministry of God is going out to all the world. Facebook, Instagram, television, streamings. Everyone has the opportunity to hear about the almighty works of the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of all of us. But there's a time where Christ is going to crack the sky because we all have an opportunity to receive and accept the Lord, the Father's Son. But there's a lot of rejection. But look what it says. 
sent out into every part of the world. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting upon the throne. And as he took the scroll, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each with a harp and golden vials filled with incense, the prayers of God's people. They were singing him a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slain and your blood has bought people from every nation as gifts for God. And you have gathered them into a kingdom and made them priests of our God. They shall reign upon the earth. Then in my vision, I heard the singing of millions of angels surrounding the throne and living beings and the elders. The lamb, listen to this, verse 12. The lamb is worthy. Loudly they sang it. The lamb who was slain, he is worthy to receive the power and the riches and the wisdom and the strength and the honor and the glory and the blessing. And then I heard everyone in heaven and earth and from the dead beneath the earth and in the sea exclaiming, the blessing and the honor and the glory and the power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings kept saying, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him. Now, because of time, I won't go to Matthew 28. But those of you that have the time, go to Matthew 28. When he rose with all power, and authority. We have to recognize that Christ is strength. Christ is truth. Christ is honor and glory and majesty, the Lion of Judah. But what is it that we think that Satan, because we hear that he's a roaring lion going to and fro, looking to whom he can devour, looking to whom he can uh, accuse, do we not read that Christ has conquered Satan? Christ, at the end of Revelation, it tells you that Satan loses, that those demonic forces are going to the lake of fire, that everybody who's like us has an opportunity to accept the Lord's free gift of salvation. But there are those who reject the Son, and they will find themselves at the great white throne of the judgment that for those who are going to hell with Satan. But my time tonight, I pray, I pray, see Christ for who he is. Ask God through the Holy Spirit to let you read the scriptures, digest the scriptures, grow, and understand that there is a battle that's already underway. The last days are underway, but we need the saints of God to not play politics and follow after a cult leader, but follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that has given his life for us. He is the only one that speaks the truth all the time. He's the only one that will fulfill his promises all the time. He's the only one that will always be about the father's business. He is the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. 
We as the people who say we are Christians, Christ-like, Christ people, Christ disciples, we have to be about Christ and what he wants us to do. And we have to start studying this word and digesting it and living it because this world is going to get uglier and uglier every day. And we don't need people that say they love Christ, but then they hate their brother that they can see. We need people to be honest and earnest about the things of the living God. And that's about his son. I pray in the name of Jesus that something has been said to make you understand that we need you to be a worker for the kingdom, to be a part of the ministry of Christ, to share the message of the gospel throughout the entire world. For the harvest is ripe, it's plentiful, but the labors are few. We need you in the work of the Lord. Pray. If you've been slacking and apathetic, pray for God to to forgive you. Repent and join the workforce for Christ to do the ministry of the gospel. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray that for all of us. Have a good night and Lord willing, see you next week.